Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Carlos Rodello. Today we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So I told you in text, I love this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think I actually like this more than the first Guardians movie. Wow. There's so much I loved in this movie. And the ending, we'll get to that. The ending was so wonderful to me. Mm-hmm. And I have notoriously said on previous podcasts that I didn't like this episode. In retrospect, I thought I didn't like it because if my memory of it was that I was frustrated that there's Kurt Russell and there's a whole thing about a planet and it just felt corny to me in my memory. And now we've watched it, rewatched it. Drum roll, please. Carlos will reveal his true feelings in five, four, three, two, one. I liked it. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it a lot more than I thought it was. I have a couple problems and issues with it. And we'll get to that when we go through the notes of it. But in general, I, I still like an origin story the best. I'm really a sucker for that. So I really... I'm not sure on the score yet, but I'm thinking the first one's still going to win it out for me. Okay. But I, I, I agree with you. I love the ending and I love a lot of parts of this movie, like a lot, you know? So, so yeah, I was surprised. First of all, it starts fantastic. I can watch those first five minutes. I told you this last time we talked too. I can watch those, those first five minutes of this movie over and over again. It just, I just sit there with a smile on my face as if I smoking the, smoked a full gram of marijuana. I just sit there dazed and happy about how wonderful the world is. Now you mean not the very beginning, because the very beginning is the Kurt Russell going and 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 basically hanging out with his mom. No, Earth. I mean Mr. Blue Sky into rockets stealing the batteries from the golden people. Oh, so a lot of the beginning. Okay. I thought yeah. you meant like the the very, very beginning is the 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 kind of quick flashback to the his father yeah. meeting his or you know, basically hanging out with his mother. And a kind of an old school memory. And then the kind of early beginning. It's cute. It's a cute beginning. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. You don't it's know cool. it's, it's, we're going to be undercut, but uh, it's kind of sweet. Yeah, I'm, talk, I'm talking mainly about the Mr. Blue Sky sequence, though. Yeah, and then you get like the dancing Groot. You have them fighting the monster. And then you literally have the introduction of the Sovereign, which I've never heard of until this movie. And are they in the comics a lot or no? No, not much. Okay. And then, yeah, uh, basically them stealing batteries, which I love that line as they're leaving. He's like, you want to buy some batteries to Drex? <laughs> um, this movie has like over the top, a lot of Drax lines, like so many Drax jokes. I mean, it was in the first one, but this is like times two, I think. Oh, everyone knows my turns are the biggest in the universe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many of those lines from him. It's crazy. But I, I agree with you. I wrote down in my notes. It starts great. Like it starts action-packed and funny and there's music in like lots of scenes and then there's this you know nebulous oh pun intended nebulous uh bad guy called the sovereign you know and then the other piece is that the characters all act so true to themselves throughout the movie but especially in the beginning right they're all fighting in different ways against the giant space monster they all have their little vignette with Groot Mm-hmm. I didn't pick up on it, but the reason Groot stops dancing when Drax lands near him is that Drax says later on, there's two people in the world, those who dance and those who don't. Oh, He's is that a one? dancer? And so Groot is trying to be like nice to him. 
I, I actually took it from the end of the first movie where he was dancing and he stayed still whenever Drax would look at him. I thought it was just like a playback to that, like a callback. Oh, probably is too. Yeah, it's probably both. No, I agree. It's just really fun. And you can, like you said, it tells, you can tell each character and what they are and how they even fight and all that kind of stuff. So super fun. And then all of a sudden, you know, they jumping right into the kind of the, the notes here, uh, Rock and Quill are fighting because, you know, I don't know, they just, I don't, I don't even understand why they started fighting. They were saying like one of them flew the ship better than the other. They're going through the asteroid belt. Well, so, that, so back up a second. So yeah, they're there. So they, they steal the batteries from the, what were they sovereign, called? Sovereign, sovereign. They, they steal the batteries from the sovereign. The golden people is how I always think of them because they're just like stick in the ass kind of people, right? They're just, yeah, cool. they're not cool. Stick in the ass. Well, there we go. It's another line for the movie. Right. And then I thought it was very interesting. I don't think I've ever seen it in a sci-fi movie before where they chase after them in these remote control ships. Oh yeah. 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 The gold people basically don't want to get their, their hands dirty. So they just use like video games and control like remote ships to come and attack. I thought that was so clever and so well done. And like the, all those little inset scenes of them inside the the game studio, whatever you call it, were like, oh, Joe, you just suck. All that kind of stuff. Yeah. That was just, again, just like these little throwaway moments that like show much, show so much character. Yeah. Basically, the, yeah, the point I left out was that they're, going away and they're trying to get through this asteroid belt to leave because the gold people are coming after them because of the stolen batteries. Again, such a heisty kind of beginning, you know, like old school sci-fi. Remember what was that movie? Is it Ice Pirates? I was going to say, it reminds me of the Italian job crossed with Star Wars or something. Yeah, but there's other, there's this B-level movie that was a sci-fi that I liked. I want to say it's called Ice Pirates, but whatever. It's like, yeah, like a heist, sci-fi heist, you know, or what's, what's the, the really famous one with um, uh, Nathan Lane, um, Firefly, you know, mm-hmm. like where they're all just kind of like, Nathan Lane's wrong. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering about that. <laughs> Who do I mean? Who do I mean? The main Nathan something. Nathan Fillion. Nathan Fillion. That's what I bet. Yeah. Nathan <laughs> Lane shows up in Firefly. I don't think so. <laughs> And it's all dancing and singing. It's it's dancing and singing in the stars. That's a funny. I love that guy, by the way. So anyways, they escape. Uh, And then. Uh, So Groot and Pete are fighting with each other because they both think they're the best pilot who can get them through the asteroid belt. I know. But then it continues. The rivalry between them. The rivalry just seems weird. That's the only thing. One of the only things that felt manufactured in this, because as we go along, um, flash or kind of a spoiler is that they get saved by a person just like a one person and that whole beginning of the movie including being saved by a person who's just like flying around on a ship felt like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy to me well that's a great analogy yeah it does feel like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy yeah because it's all hokey and and that's so the whole movie kind of felt like that where like there's a lot of comedy all the time and even though there's like some you know tough moments and emotional stuff it's just like that epitomized it you know like hey is there a person on that ship is he outside you know uh and then they crash land and they get away but that you know that person being his dad uh helped him help them get away so the first time i saw this movie i'm like what the fuck it's his dad and all the universe this is who who tracks him down and then the yeah. explanation of course is so much bigger we talked last time we don't have to worry about spoilers we talked last time about all the hints in the first Guardians movie about the Eternals movie. And here we, here we see Ego is a celestial who's the 
enemy of the Eternals. And right. so, again, this is a, all a kind of flash forward to what we're going to get later this year. Uh, this the larger Eternals universe is kind of revealed through ego here. Yeah. The and then um, then we jump to uh, the snow planet, which, by the way, I like that snow planet. It seemed really like I wanted to visit that. Mm-hmm. That's where Yondush is hanging out. And by the way, you noticed we joked last episode that Howard the Duck would never show up again. And he does. He shows up. Yeah. He's just talking, talking, being Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some reason, Sylvester Stallone enters the picture. And I did not care for that because, like I mentioned before, if an actor's too big, it's just the actor. And so I just saw Sylvester Stallone. And I didn't want him there. I don't know I how you he felt. was fine, though, in the role. You, you thought, yes, yeah, your point is, your point is, I think, very fair. Yeah, because it, it, it it's a, jarring. It becomes Sylvester Stallone starring in Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, it's as jarring. As opposed I to Chris like Pratt, right? Yeah, but the, the, the only, they're using that to set up that Yondu is, you know, the leader of this gang. Um, they're the, the Ravagers, right? Ravagers. Ravagers, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then the Sovereign, the gold people show up and say, hey, can you go help get this guy who who wronged us? Mm-hmm. And that's how, that's how he gets involved. Um, so then... Okay, they're on that planet. At some point, I wrote down my next note was Drax makes fun of Mantis. So at some point, Mantis shows up with Kurt Russell, right? Mantis is kind of sort of his slave. That's maybe too strong of a word. His servant anyway. Yeah, she's the only other one like that hangs out with him to like ease his pain because he's such a powerful god and he has all these, you know, worries and I don't know, something. So we'll talk about in a bit, I think, but I thought the arc between... Drax and Mantis was really very sweet. That's funny because I don't think so. That's one of my only problems. Uh, I know me... a lot of people don't like Mantis in this film, and that's fair. No, that's not it at all. Oh my goodness, that's exactly the opposite. Okay, Did people people say that they don't like, like was, Mantis. You felt like he was bullying her. Yes, it's a hundred percent bullying. Like I don't understand why they let that go in the writing. It doesn't stop until the very last scene. And he still makes fun of her because flash forward, I wrote a a note down. He calls her ugly the whole time. And the very end, instead of having a touching moment with her, he calls her ugly again. Like, what is the point of this? It definitely almost gets a full point off for me. Oh, okay. He calls her ugly, but she's beautiful inside because he had that insight where he says, you can tell those who love the ugly people because they love her for themselves, not for how they look. It, It doesn't matter what comes across is. It's just mean. Like, there's no, like, there's, like, some other level, of like, because Drax is so rash and, or, you know, brash or whatever. It, for me, it just always took me out every time he did it. It wasn't, like, endearing, which I guess some people thought. And I can't believe people would think that Mantis was the one who was annoying because Drax was just saying mean things to her. And it just seemed for no reason, just because, like, he's a different alien that doesn't like her. I'm sorry. I'm kind of mad about this still. Okay. Because he, so, he, he's not gaslighting her. You know, I don't even fully understand gaslighting. I think I really don't. Can you explain it to me and the listeners? I don't I'll think say, I get In it. this context, I don't think he's lying to her. I think he's sharing his true feelings about her. He's not trying to make her feel bad in any way. He's just right. kind of being himself. And I think that's part of the joke of the character is that he's this big overgrown child in some ways. Let's come back to it later. Uh, because I still, I agree with that idea, but I still don't like it. 
Uh, Rocket also is a dick for a long time. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of this is this that manufactured like the in group in fighting that happens in movies. I get why they do it because it's great for like a nice resolve at the end. But it just to me, it didn't feel like it came from any good place. Like everybody just seemed like they were mad at each other. Rocket get calls gets called on his shit though a couple times in this movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's where he talks about how he was tortured and rejected. And so we have context a bit for Rocket that maybe we don't have for Drax. But weirdly enough, in the first movie, I felt bad for Rocket, and this one, I didn't. Okay. I mean, just my own thoughts on it. He has a few really wonderful action scenes. Yeah, oh yeah, he kicks ass a lot of times. Like time. the scene on the snow planet, I think it is, where he's hopping from shoulder to shoulder, attacking all the people. Oh, that's when he's fighting the Ravagers, I think, Yeah, right? he's fighting yeah, against yeah. the Ravagers, yeah. And he kicks ass, and then, of course, he... Well, we're getting to that. So at some point, Mantis and Gamora and Peter uh, all go off to hang out with dad, right? That's mm-hmm. a whole. And so why that's that splits up the movie perfectly, because now you have Rocket, Groot and Yondu, basically, uh, well, and Nebula, all kind of in another story. Like, so, so it's like a battling two stories of something. Um, and yeah, Nebula basically escapes and shoots Yondu. You think he's dead, but he's not. And basically takes over as like, leader of the ravagers which is pretty impressive she has that great speech too where she says essentially uh my everything my sister achieved came at my victimization i had all these every time she won a fight i had another metal piece grafted on me no one has any idea of the pain i go through every day every moment of every day of my life yeah it was like a real a great moment there suddenly this character seemed a little two-dimensional in the last movie feels a lot more her anger seems based in something and well this whole movie character a nice arc as well in this movie yeah this whole movie i think you feel for nebula and she well again we're jumping ahead but she has a lot of redeeming moments too so it's like this is a good nebula movie (laughs) it could have almost just been like yeah a nebula movie so yeah rocket and Groot get captured you know go with that gang oh yeah i forgot so going back to the peter storyline you know they show ego's power and like that he's a part of a planet and that he made this planet and he his whole story basically like how he met his mom and and that whole thing happens which i think that's where i started getting felt like it was a little long the tooth the first time i watched it you know because like they do all those little dioramas and stuff i was like i don't want to hear kurt russell talk anymore this is what i remember the first time i watched it and i don't want to hear this little story about him and his wife or him and his mother i for some reason that, that rubbed me the wrong way that whole scene, just the whole thing. He's so unlikable in, in all the scenes where he starts to, where he's monologuing basically. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That I just like didn't want to see him on the screen. And like, it was this weird thing because I, you know, like anybody, I like Kurt Russell. He's, he's fucking Kurt Russell, right? Uh, but yeah, they went a little too far making him unlikable and uncaring. And then also it just feels fake. And you obviously will find out that it is fake, but he's playing catch with Peter and it just... That's all that stuff that I remember now. I'm rewatching it. The only thing is, I think I just focused on that in my retrospect mind. But now, mm-hmm. like watching it again, the whole ride, you're right, was very, very fun. But that that scene, again, bothered me. Like, they're playing catch. I mean, come on. But Peter starts the game of catch because he's so desperate to have a connection to his dad because he's idolized yeah. his dad in absentia. Yeah, it makes uh, sense. And then and- he's learning that he has powers, too. He's learning that he has this power. So what do you think of him having these powers? I think that also I didn't like the first time I saw it. And I remember going like, 
it all just felt too well perfectly aligned which by the way interesting tangent in a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy book which anyone who's listening should go read all of douglas adams books oh read the trilogy um, oh my goodness or whatever you call but it. and the movie is great too but in that movie or in his books those things that are outlandish happen a lot and so it makes sense in that world and this time it happens in the very beginning and it makes sense because it's kind of fun and like i said i liked it but then once you get into like the marvel movie part of it right it's like enemy versus enemy and sister versus sister it just then all of a sudden kurt russell keeps popping up with all these ridiculous things and peter has powers all of a sudden to me that's why it just didn't feel right it just felt like a little like too perfect Mm-hmm. Um, too symmetrical in a way too symmetrical very much yeah my um, whole thing is like i like peter being human but i'm kind of intrigued how he, how he acts when he is less human when he when he's got his half celestial side to him i know jumping ahead again which is what we're doing this whole episode he at some point says like oh i'm gonna do some crazy shit now that i have these powers well he's got the power right he, he's yeah so i have the same reaction as you like when he first shoot, shot the stuff in his hands and then was throwing playing catch with his dad yeah i thought really this is going too far yeah well i uh, jump back to Groot and more grounded uh storylines Groot trying to help them escape remember they get out of prison uh yeah and do kind of takes over again and the whole series like, of little blackout scenes where they send Groot to get the stuff oh from. so funny i remember liking that the first time too from taser face um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> taser I'm face. taser face. Imagine being the guy who wakes up every day and says, oh, I'm going to pick this cool name for myself. Taser face. <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they escape and taser face is funny. And they do it the, was, the, by the way, a real character from the comics. Oh, really? Yeah. He just felt like a, like throw him in there as a, an extra ravager. But that's funny. That's good to know. That's an Easter egg. Yeah. Uh, there, there's the, several Easter eggs here. Then they, oh, t- point them out when we see them. Uh, then they do the thing where they got to, uh, like, a lot of jumps to get to meet where Peter is, right? Like, they're all going to take the ship and go, all being Groot and, and John doing all stuff. And that is, like, a very wacky segment, which, again, reminds me of the beginning of the movie or Hitchhiker's Guide of the Galaxy. Like, weird wackiness. We're going to take 700, like, warp jumps to get there. I was thinking it's like Jim Carrey in the mask. Yeah, very much so. They do a lot of bending of faces kind of corny and we get our stan lee cameo which is oh that was so good who are those guys again that, that he was talking to the watchers the watchers yeah the watchers come around when there's a giant celestial event and observe it because they need to chronicle it they're the kind of the marvel universe historians wow those historians must talk to the people from loki the time watchers oh i wonder i wonder if they they like have meetings we know they talk to stan lee i i this is my favorite of his cameo so far. That was really good. Yeah, he's like, as I was saying, Peter and Ego have a talk. He tells him he's immortal, which is another big thing. But of course, here comes the unraveling. Like he needs him to help remake the universe. And as soon as he said remake, that's a problem because, you know, that means people are going to die. And he, you know, basically you figure out that he's wanting to start the universe over or basically create life in whatever image he wants and doesn't matter if other people are going to die which is a big deal Uh, and the mantis tells drax that that whole plan basically like hey we're in trouble we got to do something gamora and nebula by the way have a huge fight at some point in this movie too remember they like battle each other a little a tiny bit further on yeah and um we can skip to that because 
that to me is one of those moments. There's about four or five moments in this movie that I think the third or fourth time through, I just completely fell in love with it. Because if you think about the arc of that scene, Nebula is furious at her sister. And she comes flying in this rocket ship, swearing vengeance for a long time, right? And she's ready to kill her, right? She even smashes into the North by Northwest style. She smashes into- Oh yeah, it is very- She chases her into this cave and they have this, uh, they're ready to have a pitch battle essentially, right? Uh, Gamora pulls out this enormous gun, which is another great little comic book Easter egg because that's like, that's from an early 1990s Marvel comics, right? Think of that as the, the Rob Liefeld gun. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And uh, so it's like a little bit of throwback to the Guardians 90 series. The gun is so fucking huge. It's insane, right? But she's using it to shoot up her sister's ship. She's using it to sh- shoot Nebula's ship. And then once, once she finds Nebula's trapped, Gamora comes in and saves her. And suddenly the sisters have this moment of like connection together. And we see the complete transformation of Nebula in yeah. that moment. And this is what this movie is all about, really. Is it's, make, it's, it's forming new connections, new families, or reforming the connections that were broken, right? It's all about, this movie is all about family, essentially. And seeing that transformation in Nebula, because from that scene onward, she trusts her sister. She's showing love for her sister and her sister's friends. And she's becoming a different person. And she's helping. Yeah, she's helping. Uh, and so that moment where they're walking out of the cave together is a weird, weird catch. And I'm not even sure if it makes sense. But they walk out of the cave and the lip of the cave is almost as if they're moving out of the birth canal or something into a new oh, life. Geez. That's a deep cut if that's what it, if it's supposed to be. So yeah, I think right that's after that's one that, of the four or five things that I just think makes this movie extra special. Yeah, I did like the connection. Yeah, I mentioned at the very beginning, like it's like the Nebula movie. It's also like the Gamora movie too, because mm-hmm. you know they it, it is two movies. They that's they split it up in the very beginning, and you're gonna get like this two different movies. The movie with Peter like figuring out he's immortal and stuff like it just isn't my favorite movie. And that section also has Drax continually making fun of Mantis. And I just don't understand why they they i mean they go back to that well many times and i'm like this just doesn't seem like it i don't know what they're doing and and it's like not even like they're they're romantically involved at the end but he could kind of likes her i don't know i think it's did you you eventually kind of get just annoyed by drax in this movie then no i did i didn't i just got annoyed by that interaction okay he i mean they gave him a lot of lines though like it it's probably like right up there you know with how many comedy things they were trying to hit him with yeah, I think Bautista got as many lines as Zoe Saldana, probably. Yeah. So, I, but again, I, th- I liked it for the most part. I just didn't like the Mantis stuff. Okay, at some point, basically, let's just kind of bring it all together because it gets a little messy here, but the Sovereign show up again. They're going to try to blow up the dad by going into the bowels of the planet and doing a bomb with Groot. It's going to, you know, blow up the bomb. And there's a lot of stuff that happens. We don't need to go through it all of it, but like Yandu basically sacrifices himself to save Peter, which is a nice moment which we'll go back to at the end. And then Nebula saves Gabora again. And, you know, just people keep saving each other. And Groot does the right thing and hits the right button. And then basically everybody does what they need to do, blow up dad. And then Peter realizes his real dad was Yandu all along. And what do you think of that? I mean, I don't, 
it's tough because I like the ending. We'll just jump to the ending, which is they have this great funeral and it's fucking awesome. And yes, I got emotional. I, was I did like, too. Yeah, it was just because it was done so well. There was fireworks. Everybody was there. The delivery was great. The Ravagers showed up. It just felt but very good. With the Cat Stevens song playing in the background mm-hmm. too. This very sincere sort of music. I thought the whole bit about Yondu being Peter's real dad, in effect, was just handled so nicely. Yeah. You really felt this love between them. When he makes the joke about, no, we would never eat eating you. That was just a joke, kid. Like, all of a sudden, like, this whole thing, like, comes back into place. You see this connection between them. And you see, like, he actually did love him in his own kind of hick way. Yeah. Also, we didn't talk about Yondu's great scene with the arrow when they were escaping the the uh Ravager oh that's ship. right yeah, yeah yeah that was just so massively wonderful he, he, he killed a lot of people he killed a lot of people with that arrow <laughs> a lot of people in a movie Which with we'll a lot of great actors end. i think michael rooker is the best actor in the movie um well, okay it, 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 the problem with me and i've said it before is just michael rooker is from the walking dead and i watched you know laboriously watched four or five seasons of that thing before i quit it and you know he was in entrenched into my mind as like the hick who didn't want to change and was awful and i just never wanted to deal with him in the movie and so like it's hard to pull that off out of an actor sometimes especially if it's a series it's not like just i saw him at a movie you know sure yeah so i mean that again that's not fair to him because yeah i think he did a very good job in the movie to your point of being the bad guy and then being heartwarming and like that's hard to, to do those two which so i'll give him credit for that his character has a really nice arc in this movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a guy who we thought was kind of semi, not villainous, but out for himself in the last movie. This movie, like we really get to appreciate him as a person. So when we had that beautiful funeral scene for him at the end, like, yeah, I was, I was so moved by that too. I really um, was. We feel like we lost someone who we kind of started to care about. Yeah. Like you just get to know him. Like they, they just like in quotes, swore him in Remember, it's as like, you're a new guardian of the galaxy. And then that's kind of a nice touching thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the other okay. touching thing was uh, the other touching thing I was just to say is a silver tooth guy, which we haven't mentioned, but he's been a lot in this movie. I don't know who he was, but he, one of the ravagers was, a was a big time player in this movie. I always forgot his name, but Tulik? I don't know. He was very thin and he silver tooth and he wanted an arrow at the end. And he, yeah, they Tom gave him the arrow. Remember Tulik. Tulik. Peter yeah. gave him the arrow which we'll get to at the end credits. And that was nice when he gave him the air. I felt like emotional there too, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And of um, course, there's the arc with Peter, like he gets reunited with the father who he's idolized in the distance for years. The father lets him down. And the truth is that he has been with the man who was his true father. Yeah. For years. It was him all along. Yeah. Right. And in the worst hands, in hands other than Peter, James Gunn's, I think it wouldn't have been nearly as powerful. I think, the way the gun takes the piss out of this movie over and over again with the humor makes the drama so much more powerful and interesting. I think that's true. And again, that's probably why I like comedy in my Marvel movies or any movie for that matter, because that juxtaposition, you know, uh, before we, I, don't, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up that, um, that, that at some point someone hands uh, Peter the Zune. Yes. I love that little. Yes. Touch. He's like, it's got 300 songs on it. He's like, 300. <laughs> I love that. Oh, is that great? Um, also, at the end, after the whole funeral, like, I thought corny as hell. Sylvester Stallone shows up again. 
and says he was our he was our boy. I don't don't I don't don't talk. Don't ruin this moment for me, Sylvester Stallone. And then something that would you would not even know. Did you get anything out of the scene with Bing Rames and Michelle Yeoh? He was he never in this movie until the very end. Bing Rames. He was never like in he this wasn't. movie until the very end. Okay, are they using that actor for a new uh, whatever you're about to tell me gr- crew or something? So they are a different crew that are also called the Guardians of the Galaxy. So the original Guardians of the Galaxy had Yondu as this kind of space. The idea was that this is the world of the future. An astronaut has traveled to the, to the far future accidentally and meets these former colonists of Earth's colonies, and they band together to save the galaxy. And Yondu was kind of this Native American who uh, his people were all wiped out. He's the last survivor. Wait, and wait, he wait. Has- Rewind. I need to pause on this for a minute. <laughs> Being oh, he's native. a Native American from Alpha Centauri or something. I know what I'm just saying is that like that rubs me the wrong way because you know this oh, Yandu is quite the opposite it's of Native super American. Fucking racist, yes. Wow. And then, and then you remember at all the the crystalline guy who appears yeah, twice in the they movie. They show him. They show that's, him. Yeah. That's Martin X. He's a former survivor of the Earth colony on Pluto. These are, the These are some Being deep Rains cuts. These are Bing Rains plays uh, another character who's from Jupiter named Charlie 27. And I jumped out. I saw this movie in the theater. I jumped out of my seat in the theater. I'm like, it's fucking Charlie 27. And everyone like stares at me like, who like, is what? this guy? It's Bing Rains, dude. What are you but talking here's about? Here's the coolest thing. Michelle Yeoh plays a character named Alita. So in the, I mean, you know, I'm crazy for this writer, Steve Gerber. Who wrote six issues of the original uh, Guardians of the Galaxy comic in the 1970s? Gerber's Guardians of the Galaxy has a character named Star Hawk. Star Hawk has two people inside his body, a male and a female. The female is Alita. Mm. So he is gender fluid. He has two bodies living inside him. So Alita is the female of Star Hawk. Okay. And there's a scene in Gerber's. Guardians of the Galaxy, where they visit their children together and the characters raising them. So again, this is like the deepest, deepest Easter egg possible. But to have Alita and Charlie 27 and Martin X in this movie, like it, it's just perfect for me. The only so one- it, add, it adds a little extra for you at the end for someone who knows that kind of stuff. So like I'm almost in tears watching the, the ending with the fireworks and everything. And then I see fucking Alita and Charlie 27. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to see this movie. Which they're going to put you think in the next Guardians yeah. movie. So Ving Rhames it will make another appearance and all those other actors you just mentioned. Yeah, they have to. Although, you know, who knows if Michelle Yeoh even has the time. What is she doing? She's in like a lot of things. Star Trek, the Star Trek shows. Oh, that's right. That's right. Well, that was cool. Also, I think at the end was nice was just, again, that funny little line or funny little segment of that guy who I just mentioned, you just told me his name with the silver teeth, um, who's practicing his arrow member because mm-hmm. he gets to like now get to use it and he hits tracks. Oh, yeah, he hits tracks, which is really funny. Tulik. Tulik. Uh, and then also a, Tommy Flanagan, who plays him as an impossibly thin face, by the way. Yeah. Does his face look like? Like you could fit two normal people's faces on that one face. 
Yeah, it looks like it's stretched, like almost in post or something. It's just, it's so funny. Looking. He's a great character. He shows a lot of uh, emotion. I feel like bad that I didn't mention because he's in the whole movie and he, he he really is kind of like a center of the Ravagers. You know, yeah. like he's like the the heart almost in a way. We got two, real quick to wrap it up because this is a long episode. Uh, we got two post credits thing. We have Sylvester Stallone, don't care. And then the other the other post credits is this, the gold people saying that they are building Adam. Tell me what Adam is, or do you Adam not know? going to be Adam Warlock. Oh, that's Who's, a big deal. Yeah, it's a big deal. He's like a silver, he's like a golden god. Yeah, we they're talked about perfect, him before. They're the perfect people to build him. Wow, that's, I would like, that's my most interesting thing. I that's love like, a, Yeah, keep going. No, I was going to say, remember, um, we've mentioned before, but the Beyonder, uh, it just, it reminds me of something like that, like a kind of perfect type person who can, wreak a lot of havoc you didn't talk about the the post-credit scene with teenage Groot either wait did i miss that one you didn't see the post-credit scene with teenage i'm bad Groot. with post-credit because i usually just like scrub it when, when i because i'm watching he's, online he's hanging out in his room putting playing video games his bedroom is filthy peter trips over it all his wood hanging out there and he's like, I am Groot. He's like this nasty ass teenager. To oh, he's got angst. No, I I'm skipped not. it. Peter says, oh, I'm not boring. No way. Yeah, the whole the whole last bit of credits is full of little jokes because it's got characters dancing around in their little inset boxes. I feel like I saw a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Okay. I guess we, I, I think I skipped ahead to look for the two post credit scenes and I missed the very ending. But I'd seen it originally. There's and five I total it. scenes at the end. So tell me, what else did I miss? I think we hit the big ones. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a long review. And also it's a, it's, it's kind of because I think we've done lo our longest reviews are for movies we like the most, because I, I don't know, for me, I take the most notes when I like really like a movie, like, let's just give an example, the bad Hulk movie. Like I didn't have many notes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was like, just kind of zoning out. What's so your rating? Let's do, let's do rating. Uh, my, do we remember what the rating was for last one? I think you gave it eight and a half oh, yeah. or nine. No, we said I said nine because I was like it should be ten, but I I I don't think it can be ten, so I said nine. And I think you said nine too. Do I want to go that high? Do I want to go? Do I want to go higher than that? The point is, you have to go at least nine if you, if we both did nine last time because you said you liked it even more. You could do yeah. 9. I actually 5. I I rewatched it twice this week. Twice I you are crazy. It, I watched it and then rewatched it. And the second time I liked it even more than I liked it the first time. Jeez, that it's gotta it. be higher than so nine. It's like then. at least you know, I'll give it a nine and a half. Wow. Okay. I didn't. I mean, I really, really liked say, it more. I'll say it's not without flaws, but in terms of just like pure joy, like there's it's my it's one of my favorite movies in terms of just making me happy. Here's here's why I'm gonna put here's why it's gonna go down a little bit for me. One, Kurt Russell. Two, the Drex thing. Those are things that bother me. You know okay. what I mean? Three, and most importantly, I like the first one because it's an origin story. And I also, this one felt where the first one, remember we talked about how it just felt like it was on a track and we never lost a track and we figured it out. And here's the ending, you know, like other movies can split up. This movie on purpose splits up in the middle, which makes you kind of a little confused a little bit because you're like, okay, now... How should I be feeling? Oh, I should be feeling bad for Drax. No, I should be feeling bad for Yandu. Oh, uh, wait, these guys are trapped. Wait, who's a trapped? It's really, I should be feeling bad about Quinn. Like, you know what I mean? So like, or Quill. 
So like I was going back and forth between what I should be feeling. And one was so easy. I was just like, yep, this is a fun ride. And now it's over. So I'm actually going to give it an 8.5, which is still a lot. I thought it was going to be a seven. Still one of the best movies in this series. Yeah. I'm putting, I'm putting the first one. Unfortunately, we go from, we go to age of Ultron. Oh, well, we already know we don't like that. Can we just skip it? Let's just skip. The rule is we watch them all. I know. You might like it more than you think, or you might really hate it. Well, it will have Wanda in it, which I want to see because that's kind of the again impetus of this whole series. Because I was like, let's let's do this. So I'm predicting I'm gonna give it a four. Wow, that is low. Yeah, I think a, a four or five. I might give it a, a boost because of Wanda, but she's not in this movie much though. It's mainly robots. Where can people find you? YouTube.com/slash a lot of things. And if you enjoy this podcast, subscribe. Leave us a rating on iTunes. Thanks for listening. A positive one. Maybe a positive one. Positive one would be nice. Oh, thank you.